I'm Chad Reed. I'm Hillary Langer. I'm Gil Jenkins. And this is Climate Positive. We're regenerating the soil. We're adding back just nutrient value. We're sinking carbon back into the soil. Looks like about two to three tons per acre. It's really fascinating what this plant can do to sort of regenerate that. Kim Kovacs is the CEO of Element 6 Dynamics, which is bringing industrial hemp production to scale to replace the tree-based pulp that's in paper and in packaging. Growing the hemp not only reduces the pressure to harvest forests, but it also sequesters carbon while replenishing soils. Kim, thank you so much for joining us today. It's great to have you here. Thank you, Hillary. It's a pleasure. So before we dive into Element 6 Dynamics work, can you bring us up to speed on hemp as an industry? I understand that it's been used in the paper industry for hundreds of years, and there are records of it being used in ancient China, ancient Egypt. But then it was outlawed in the United States in the 1930s. Why did that happen, and what's been the history since? So, yeah, interesting uh, plant. We've actually grown up with this plant, if you will. We have all evolved together. And so the hemp plant is part of the cannabis genus. So the, the bigger plant species is cannabis. And you've got sort of two pieces to it. You've got marijuana, which has the THC component. And, you know, we hear a lot about that in the news and, you know, new states uh, enabling cannabis production, marijuana production now and legalizing it across the country. But the other sister plant to that is called hemp and it does not have any THC It's or it's a non-detect THC. And historically it's been used for things like textiles and rope and paper and the seeds of the plant can be used to feed animals and humans. And so it's had a very long history. And as I said, it, it really evolved with us. And so as we were even starting out with our 13 colonies here in the United States, hemp was a legal commodity. And in fact, some states or early states or early colonies required that the settlers grew hemp because it was so in need and it grew so well in so many different climate zones that they would grow that and they would use it for trade. They could pay their taxes using hemp. There's a little city in Connecticut called Hempstead. And so those, you know, are still around and still in existence. Just a quick story. I secured a $10 U.S. note, Federal Reserve dollar bill, printed in 1914 for one of my current investors, over the holidays, and it's printed on hemp paper. And it actually has pictures of the hemp crop on the back of the $10 bill. And so it was really used pretty much everywhere. In 1920s, early 1930s, hemp got the rap of being part of the cannabis species. And they said, oh my gosh, reefer madness. It's marijuana. It's a drug. We can't have it. And really, I think what happened at that point too is you had some industry titans who decided that hemp was really a competing product for what they wanted to see, which was paper, which was trees. And so hemp was competing against trees for a lot of things. Hemp was competing against cotton for textiles. And so these industry giants basically, you know, jumped on that bandwagon and said, well, let's just make sure hemp is included in that prohibition with cannabis. And it was. And so as of really 1920s, early 30s, hemp was outlawed. And so you couldn't grow it. You could not produce it. You couldn't make anything out of it, including rope or 
textiles or anything else. And then 2018, there was a revision to the Farm Bill, which then allowed hemp to be considered a different plant than cannabis or marijuana. And so it was allowed as a federally legal now crop across the United States, but regulated by the states. So what the Farm Bill enabled it to say is, okay, federally it's legal. Each state has the right to decide how they want to handle hemp and how much of it they want to grow and what kind of regulations they want to still impose on hemp in their states. And so that has been something we've been working toward is just to kind of create some uniformity there. And so it allows uh, hemp farmers to now grow and be part of sort of a new commodity ecosystem. So prior to 2018, you could still purchase hemp products in the States. Was that imported hemp? So parts of the hemp plant were still legal even after 1930, and it was really hemp seed and hemp seed oil. The stalk of the plant you couldn't use, but you could use the seeds at the top for very specific things. And so if you went to Whole Foods, for example, in 2010, you could buy hemp seed and you could consume it yourself. You could get hemp milk. You could have hemp seed oil to cook with or as, you know, some sort of a medicinal thing, but you couldn't use the plant itself to make textile. It was very complicated. It was hard to understand because at the same time, even though we could eat it and it was fine, those hemp seeds, we couldn't feed them to our chickens or cows or pigs or what have you, or our pets for that matter. And so it's just been a really hard thing for people to understand. But yes, so some of the hemp plant was allowable Other countries still grew hemp as a industrial crop. So China has been growing hemp ever since. They never really put it on the prohibition list. Other areas in Europe, like Ukraine, has been doing hemp for a long time. Italy and Spain also have some deep hemp roots, if you will. But certain other areas have said absolutely not, you know, including sort of like the Netherlands and Sweden and some of those upper Scandinavian countries have outlawed hemp completely and still do from a lot of that. So you know, it's a really complex thing. It's one of the things that we at Element 6 Dynamics do is really sit on the forefront of policy and looking at these different things and how do we open up not just the United States and sort of have free trade in and amongst our states, but how do we open it up globally? Because it is a global supply chain solution if we can address all of those things at the same time. And Element 6 Dynamics is really focused on hemp pulp as a replacement for paper. What is it about hemp that makes it suitable for paper? Well, let's just roll that back for a couple of years, just because it has taken us at least a few years, I would say probably more like four or five now, to really understand where we can make an impact in the hemp space and do it right now, as opposed to the further research and development that needs to go into a lot of other potential markets for hemp. So as I mentioned early on, hemp was used for so many things. It was used for textiles, rope, paper. We can use it for building materials. There's a hempcrete out there that can be used for housing and different things. So there's so many uses. And in fact, there's some folks that say, you know, 50,000 uses for that plant. Well, that's a lot. And as you're starting to look at emerging markets and putting this plant into sort of new applications, we had to really figure out where best to start. We looked at the landscape of plastic. We've looked at animal feed. We've looked at the housing market with hempcrete and other things. Where we really landed was pulp. So right now in the United States, we cut down a tremendous amount of trees that we literally throw away, whether that's with paper, 
tissues, baby wipes, packages. I mean, we all went through Christmas recently and looking at the number of packaging items that are left on our doorsteps. So those are all using tree-based pulp. And hemp, what we have found and what we've been working on for the last several years now, so we can replace that. And we can replace it either in portions or in total, depending on the application. And so we're really hyper-focused on that. And we've seen so far, knock on wood, a lot of success in the pulp that we've now created and the applications that we can start to use it in. And the structure of hemp is really well suited for paper, I understand. It has these long fibers that can be recycled many more times than paper. So hemp is a, an interesting plant, right? It's almost um, a combination or really an almost tree, but not quite a, the same as a plant. I'm not an agronomist, so forgive me for using lay terms here, but it's really a more sturdy, hardy stalk than a lot of other sort of grown plants like corn and so forth. Corn has really kind of just a husk to it, and it's kind of more of a singular use, if you will, whereas the hemp plant has both what's called fiber and herd. So it's got softer fiber sort of pieces to it, but then it's got a stronger herd component as well that makes it really suitable for sort of this multiple use of of the plant for different things. And so when we're making pulp, we use the whole plant to be able then to determine how much fiber and how much fiber length we put into the pulp for the different uses. So things like a cardboard box, you need it to be stronger right? It needs to be more durable, especially on the outside layers of that cardboard. And so we process that hemp a little bit differently. We grow it a little bit differently. We harvest it a little bit differently so that we can maintain a semi-longer, stronger fiber to support that box strength. Whereas if you've got a tissue or you've got a piece of paper, you don't necessarily want it that strong, right? You want to be able to tear it. You want to be able to put it through a shredder or do whatever you need to do with that piece of paper versus something that has those stronger fibers. So hemp is really just fascinating. It's evolved with us for these uses that we've already had for the last couple thousand years. And we're able to really dial in, I would say, both the chemistry in creating this pulp differently for these different uses, but also on the grow side of it as well. Tell me about the early iterations of Element 6 Dynamics When did you start and what has that evolution been like? So the company started in sort of really 2018, kind of alongside the farm bill. And uh, Stephen Gluckstern is, or actually was, the founder of the company at the time. And he was approached uh, by a, a couple of individuals and said, hey, we're getting into sort of this hemp farming market do you want to come in with us and start a hemp farm? And so Stephen's like, yes. Uh, He lived in Santa Fe, New Mexico. Hence the original company name was Santa Fe Farms. We purchased farmland in New Mexico. We started growing hemp. And I think under sort of the first or second harvest, uh, Stephen recognized that he's not a farmer (laughs) and he's a (laughs) businessman. You know, he worked for Warren Buffett. He literally invented reinsurance and got that market going back in the late 80s and early 90s. Very successful person. And he then looked at the landscape of hemp at the time and said, well, I'm probably better suited to bring this product to the forefront versus being a hemp farmer 
and really focusing on one aspect, which at the time was CBD. And so, you know, when hemp became legalized in 2018, really the early 2019 farming went toward creating a hemp derivative called CBD, which is a CBD oil. It's a cannabinoid and it's used for health and wellness. And so people really embrace that fast. And a lot of the hemp growing was towards that, including us. So we grew for CBD. However, the market got saturated really fast. Legally, it's still kind of a little bit up in the air from a regulatory perspective. Like, how can you sell it? Is it legal? You know, is it a supplement? Is it a medicine? So there's still a lot of what ifs in the CBD market space. And so we just decided a couple of years ago to say, you know what? CBD is good. It's over here, but we're going to focus on industrial. And so when Stephen decided to make that sort of switch, he recruited me from ArcView. So I was the CEO and chairman of ArcView and really looking at sort of new opportunities in the overall cannabis space. And hemp for me was like front and center because this to me was something I could really dig into because it's sustainable. It's renewable. Hemp regenerates the soil as it's growing. It's got so many of these benefits and less so on the regulatory side. And from an industrial standpoint, why not start using it? And so Stephen and I really bonded over that. I came on, joined the company in March of 2021 and then became the CEO at the end of that year. Unfortunately, Stephen passed away last year. It was a real loss for the company. We lost our visionary. We lost our evangelist. I used to say he was a frontiersman because he really liked to go to these net new things. But what he left is a company that is so hyper-focused on delivering pulp and making that impact with hemp in this marketplace. And that's really what we're doing. So we're continuing his vision in that regard. And so we've gotten ourselves out of the CBD space. We were not focused on that. But our focus now is creating this industrial space and working in the supply chain. And I think that's, Hillary, it's probably the most important thing as a takeaway here is, and this leverages my experience in the oil and gas space, also in clean tech, which is if you're trying to introduce something and making an industry change the way that it does its business, it's never going to be successful. So we had to do two things before we really started working in this market. We had to understand what the market needed. Do they need pulp delivered, you know, at their doorstep in a certain spec, a certain price, certain quantity, a certain kind of, you know, delivery mechanism? And what then do we then support with the back end of that of farming? So how do we then create the structure that gives them the security that that product's going to be there tomorrow? You can't ask somebody to switch if it's not going to be there. That's just a recipe for disaster. And so we really did our work in making sure that hemp was competitive, not just from a product side, but a costing side, and that we had enough farm lands identified through partners to be able to support the demand for those customers. I understand that you're focused on being extremely profitable, growing quickly, but then at the core of your business model is this emphasis on deliberately restoring the fields and the ecosystems in which you operate. And as part of that, you've launched a farm partner program. What does that look like? So in our history of being a farmer, really, and understanding, you know, what does it take to farm any crop, for example, 
we need to really rely on farmers who know their land. So a farmer in Wisconsin is different than a farmer in Colorado and different from one in Kansas or Washington state. Those lands are different. They require, you know, different nutrients, different water, different ways in which to farm that land. And so we found sort of early on that we know hemp. We know the hemp plant itself. We know how genetics play into different soil conditions and different farm techniques, but we don't know the land that it's going to go into. And so we created this partnership program. It's called our Farm Partner Program where we provide specific genetics seeds to farmers on their land, and we then secure the offtake. So it's no risk to the farmer. And what the farmer then is enabled to do is to start growing hemp on their lands where they might have been growing soy or wheat or even potatoes, for example. And our idea with them and what we've been doing now for the last few years is that We don't want to do this every year, day in, day out, but what we want to do is start rotating in. So if you grow wheat two years and you need to put in a rotational crop, we want it to be hemp on that third year. And so what we're also finding, both anecdotally and now with data, because we're starting to collect data off of the fields of our farmers that we work with, is that we're regenerating the soil. We're adding back just nutrient value. We're sinking carbon back into the soil. Looks like about two to three tons per acre. And again, we're just getting started on the data side, but it's really fascinating what this plant can do to sort of regenerate that. And so it's a win-win. You know, it's a win for the farmers. They get a chance to regenerate their soil. They have a crop on a rotational year that may or may not have been economically attractive for them that now becomes extremely economically attractive. And we can now grow across the country and kind of marry up the supply chain. I think that's one of the things we really want to talk about is, you know, sort of this whole supply chain and what's happened since COVID has really created an opportunity, I think, for us. So let's get into that with the supply chain. You'll have processing sites across the country. Why do you need so many distributed processing plants? So hemp is a is a big plant. It grows to 15 feet tall. That's our goal. And so we want to have a lot of fiber, right? We want to have a lot of biomass. So we want those plants to grow. We want them to be really, you know, tight together. We want them to be really tall. And so when we harvest hemp, it's heavy. It's a heavy product. It's got a lot of water in it, um, just like any other crop. And so in order for us to sort of minimize the cost of transportation, maximize the opportunities with it, we need to have what we call sort of mini pulping facilities in and around where we're growing. And what we've been doing is working with engineering firms, working with investors, actually really large investment infrastructure funds to look at existing pulp facilities where we can retrofit for our hemp processing at the beginning of that and sort of either take over that pulp facility or add a line to it. And what we found is there's hundreds of pulp facilities across the country, geographically located in perfect spots, the middle of Wisconsin, Tennessee or Kentucky or Alabama or Texas, for example, 
there's all of these pulp facilities that already exist that are struggling. You know, a lot of them have closed over the last few years. The pricing of trees and cutting down trees has really impacted that. Um, their supply chain has been impacted by COVID and getting raw material in from other countries and made that very expensive. And so they therefore have had to close or really shrink back the production. And so we want to go in and, and I don't want to say save them, but get them online again and using local community resource, right? Having jobs. I mean, the middle of Wisconsin, you know, may have been responsible for, you know, this one pulp mill employing a hundred people and it's now shuttered. So we want to reinvigorate that. We want to bring those people back. We want them working now with a sustainable product, working next to their farm brothers and sisters who are now growing the plant right next to them, literally within a 50 to 100 mile radius and creating this pulp that our strategic customers want to buy right now. Climate Positive is produced by Hannon Armstrong, a leading investor in climate solutions for over 30 years. To learn more about our climate positive journey, please visit HannonArmstrong.com. With your strategic partners or your corporate buyers, what is motivating them to purchase the hemp pulp and use that in place of the wood pulp? Yeah, so I'll give you our first big strategic customer, Ingram Content. So Ingram Content is the largest print-on-demand company in the world. And John Ingram, as sort of the CEO of Ingram Industries, in the late 90s, started this group called Ingram Content, which was designed to be really sustainable in the book publishing world. Because before, and still, publishers will like, you know, print 10,000 copies and they'll sit in a warehouse. And he said, well, that's kind of wasteful right? You've got all these potential volumes that don't get sold. And what do you do with that? It's it's a lot of waste. And so Ingram content does print on demand. So if you go online and you order a book, your favorite book, and you say, I want that delivered to my house, that order goes to Ingram and they print that book that day and they send it to you. They do this 70 million times in a year. N of one, maybe two titles at a time, but they have this incredible facility And they use tree-based paper to do it in these huge thousand-pound rolls at a time that they bring in from their paper mill suppliers. So John Ingram, several years ago, before he even met Element 6, said, I don't want to cut down trees to do this. He said, I took the first step, right? I don't need to overpublish. But now how can we get to be sustainable? How can we, as a company, start offering to our publishing partners a solution for paper. And so we've now joined forces together. We're creating a specialty paper for him specifically in his business so that they can print on a blend. Won't be 100% hemp to start, but it'll be a significant amount and we're going to be saving trees as we do it. But his customers, more importantly, the publishers who rely on Ingram for solutions are now asking, how can we be more sustainable? How can we, you know, as part of what we're doing in publishing new authors, have an ESG story here for them? And so they're excited that Ingram is taking this leadership step. And so are we. And so that's our first real strategic partner. We have 30 more in the wings. 
We have 30 companies that we're talking to right now that want to take that kind of a step. They're in everything from, like I said before, packaging, baby wipes, diapers, all sorts of uses that we shouldn't be really cutting down a virgin tree to do. Do you have enough production to meet that demand? We do not. <laughs> so that's, you know, and that's <laughs> that's step. the thing. It's, yeah, it's a chicken and egg ha- problem, right. Hillary. And, right. and that's been the hardest part, I think, for hemp as an industry, because a lot of the people who jumped in and started growing hemp in 2019, let's just say, they got burned. You know, they were growing hemp for the CBD business and they said, oh, hey, look at this market, it's taking off, we're gonna grow this product. And all of a sudden they started losing money because they couldn't sell the product in the market anymore. It was saturated. And so a lot of farmers are saying, you know what, we can't take this risk. We can't build it, they will come. We need industry, and this is really, really critical and I think important across the board in climate, which is we need industry to precede these solutions. We need industry to invest in the solution before the solution exists, because otherwise it's never going to happen. And that's one of the things that Ingram and bless his soul, John, recognized is that if we don't step in as an investor, which they did last year, I mean, this is before we still had this stuff on the whiteboard. So he was willing to to step in and take that risk early with us, knowing that it may or may not work. But if he didn't try, who would? And so I'm challenging all of these industry leaders out there, the largest consumers or users of, let's say, cardboard and packaging and other things that if you don't step in today, you're not going to have a solution tomorrow. The industry is not just going to build itself for the sake of building. And that, I think, is a really good lesson for us in all of these climate opportunities because You know, some will pencil out and be profitable, some will not, but they can get there. Although at the industrial level, hemp paper will be about on par with wood pulp paper, correct? One of the things that happened with COVID is that the pricing of pulp went up dramatically. Supply chains, like I said, you know, were impacted. And so the ceiling of the pulp pricing, we believe now is kind of the new floor. We don't see pulp pricing coming down where it was, you know, five years ago, if you will. So what we're finding is that, you know, we now with hemp can be very price competitive, locally grown. We don't have to go to the forests in Canada. We don't have to go to Asia. We don't need to go to these other markets. We can grow hemp in our backyard. We can process it in our backyard and we can send it to a paper mill down the street, and we can now get these products that we rely on day in and day out. It gives us a chance to really domesticate that. Can you tell us a little bit more about the sustainability of hemp in terms of the soil health, growth cycle, and water use? It's unfortunate, but yes, we have moved into this really sort of almost horrific, if you think about it, how we handle the the trees in this in this world now and what we want from them. I live in California and there were several years ago where you would walk into a grocery store and they'd say paper or plastic. And you had to almost make a decision on where environmentally you thought one was better or worse than the other. And so we had a choice at that point between this sort of paper and plastic. 
Well, now they've outlawed plastic completely in the state of California. And so really what you've got now are paper bags. And I thought, how do we get back to that? Hold on a second. So I get not using plastic, but now we have paper, which is cutting down trees, even with a recycled paper. You only get four times to recycle a bag or another tree-based pulp. It's four times because the, the fibers just break down because they're just not strong enough anymore. Hemp, fortunately, because it's a bigger, it's a stronger fibered plant, we can get twice that on a recycling. So you start to kind of layer in, right, some of these sort of environmental benefits beyond just, you know, the carbon in the soil, but also in how we use post-consumable materials and then doubling the life of that if we can start to use hemp. But the hemp plant itself, you know, we, like I've said before, anecdotally and with some data, which we need more data to support, does sequester carbon. The root system of the hemp plant is a little deeper than some other crops. So a lot of crops get measured at the first six to 12 inches in the soil. Hemp is really good between the second and third foot. So we're looking at 24 to 36 inches. That's really where we're seeing a lot of the sequestering coming in and the permanency of that. So if you don't till the soil and, you know, kind of really expose that topsoil again, it'll be permanent. It's a permanent sequestration. And an acre of hemp is about the same as an acre of trees, but it takes 120 days to get there versus 20 years of growth. And so we start to really look at all these things sort of in total. It's pretty incredible. And like you said, you know, it's 68 million trees here in the United States cut down, 50% of which gets literally flushed on the toilet. We need to stop that. We have to figure this out because that's just not sustainable in itself. And if we're not using these regenerative type products, hemp or others, it just it's just not going to make any sense. And so you mentioned that it takes 120 days for the hemp to grow to the point where it can be processed. Is this an annual cycle or can the pulp processing facilities and the farmers be focused on this throughout the year? Most regions, you're going to get one grow cycle. And we've actually got some of our genetics that can grow a little faster because the 120 days also contemplates it getting to a seed. And we don't necessarily need the seed. We do for replanting the next year. We will if we start to use it for animal feed and other things. But for right now, we can actually just use the fiber. And if we can grow it in, let's just say, 90 days. So our optimal scenario is that we grow the fiber only. I like using Wisconsin because we've had such a great success already with Wisconsin. And some of our pulp facilities are probably going to be there. Our paper partners are close by. And so we could plant in Wisconsin early. So right after the first frost or, you know, thaw, if you will, and go for that 90 days, the farmer can harvest that. Then they can plant wheat on top of it. So if you think about it from a farmer's perspective, I get two crops out of something. Normally, I'd only get one. And both of those are really now high-valued crops. That is incredible. And so think of that as a shorter little period. Now, in the South, we're going to start growing in Texas pretty aggressively this year. And we think we probably can get two crops out of that season, too. That's great. It's great. And then, you know, as we start to build the supply chain, it's going to be a global thing. That's really where I'm pushing this year is to get 
sort of a uniform global supply chain solution because we can grow hemp in a lot of different areas. And just to kind of give some numbers and perspective, you know, our goal is to get to a million acres. We think at a million acres, the hemp plan is really now a crop for the United States. And the reason we believe that is because, you know, there's 90 million acres of corn grown in the United States every year. A million doesn't seem that much when you stack it up against 90. And a lot of that corn is put into other uses, 30% into ethanol, another 30 or 40% into animal feed. So very little of it is really used for human consumption. It's really mostly for other types of things. And so for us, if we can start to say, hey, the hemp plant can be grown for the fiber, it can be grown for the material that we need for the pulp, we can now maybe potentially grow and and have it go to seed and feed animals with it as well. We've got this sort of multi-use for it and we don't have to pick and choose. We don't have to say to a farmer, okay, you're going to grow corn today and you're only going to be selling into the ethanol market. We can do both. And I think that with those kinds of ideas and philosophy towards farming, we can get to a million acres. The other thing I want to say is we also want to activate BIPOC. I believe there are so many areas in this country that need to have a solution for their farmlands and their communities. And I think hemp can actually be that. So there's, you know, farmers that have been struggling. They can't make money off their land. You've got indigenous lands that can start to be part of the solution in bringing industry to indigenous communities. That to me is phenomenal. And that is what we want to do. That's wonderful. What a great tribute to Steve's legacy to bring that to life. Yes, indeed. So to wrap things up, I wanted to switch over to our rapid fire questions. First is when I want to recharge, I read and go to the ocean. So I'm a water person. Advice I'd give to my younger self. I love this question. Uh, To me, this is about staying true to your morals and your moral compass while at the same time being tolerant. I was a little strong, opinionated young woman And for me, I think being more collaborative and allowing others the space to express their genius has been really important for me as I've been getting a little older and a little bit wiser and a little bit more of a a temperament. And then finally, to me, climate positive means? Incremental steps. We're not the be all end all. We're not going to solve everything today or tomorrow. But we need to allow for incremental steps to occur. And it's been a little hard, I would say, or challenging sometimes in talking to like impact investors or, you know, folks that are really focused on the ESG story and needing to have everything buttoned up already. And it's just not there yet. But if we can make some small incremental steps, I think I mentioned we're not looking to replace 100% of any given pulp in any given material, paper, plastic, whatever it might be, we're not looking at that. We're looking at incrementally 10, 20% replacement. Then let us get to 50. Then maybe we'll get to 100. But if we never do the 10 or 20, we're just stopped. And to me, that's a shame. So to me, that's really what I think success in climate means is that we start taking these incremental steps right now. Kim, thank you so much for joining us. It's always so energizing to hear about your work and I'm excited to see where it goes. Thank you so much, Hillary. 
Climate Positive is produced by Hannon Armstrong. If you enjoyed this week's podcast, please leave us a rating and review on Apple and Spotify. This helps us reach more listeners. You can also let us know what you thought via Twitter at ClimatePosiPod or email us at ClimatePositive at HannonArmstrong.com. I'm Hillary Langer, and this is Climate Positive.